Happy uh, Fourth of July to all of you. Uh, it is great to have you in the house. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. It is a very special Sunday, not just because it's the Fourth of July, but what we're going to talk about today is going to be a very intriguing for you, especially if you're a guest. Because what you're going to get to do if you're a guest here today, you're going to get to look behind the curtain of our church and know why we do what we do. Uh, and for our members, it's great to have you today. Today uh, is a special day for all of us because what we're going to talk about today is a little controversial. Okay, we're going to stir the pot today. Some of you are going to make it feel a little bit uncomfortable as Christians. If you're not a Christian yet, uh, today's message may help you understand maybe why you're not a Christian. Okay, why you haven't leaned in yet. All right, but this is something that, that we need to take note of, uh, you know, and you think, man, this is a really spicy uh, title for separation of church and hate. Okay, and, and what would you say our church, Christian church in our country today is most known for? Would it be love? Would you say that Christianity is known for love in our society today? You know, the answer, if you ask people outside, maybe here we could say, oh, yeah, love. Ask people outside. Have a conversation with people outside of our church, and guess what they would tell you? It has a little bit more to do with this word right here, hey. And we're responsible for that uh, as a church because we're responsible for changing that. And, you know, as we, we celebrate uh, the 4th of July and our freedom, you know, that intro video uh, that we watched in the beginning after the welcome uh, really describes that freedom and our independence doesn't come free. Uh, you know, for those of you who got here late, boy, you missed a really great intro video. Uh, well, maybe we'll post it online, on, online for you. But, man, what, what an incredible country we have. What an incredible place where we can meet like this together and talk about what we're going to talk about openly. And we can worship God, we can read the Bible, we can do a lot of the things that we do in freedom. But with freedom comes responsibility. So I hope you had a great time with your family. And so today we're going to talk about the uneasy tension that exists between church, Christian church, and our culture. And you can even add to that politics if you want. But there's an uneasy tension, and I don't know if you're paying attention on the news, how people are talking about Christian, Christians and church. There's a real tension there. And the reason is partly our responsibility. So today, what we're going to talk about marks an opportunity for us to make a difference, to mark a change. And I want all of us to understand, in the last couple of years, we've been making changes in, in the way we do things. Uh, even the way I deliver a message, even the way uh, we, we welcome people, we talk to people, we treat people, we've been doing things differently, and there's a reason. Maybe you don't know the reason. Some people have come up to me and said, hey, I really, really like uh, the lesson last week. I really like the preaching. I really like this. Hey, I'm glad you like it, but it's really not about you. It's about us trying to make a difference in our culture and in our community. It's so important that we see what's happening in our country, what we see what's been happening the last, you know, five to ten years in our country, and that we pay attention. And really what it has to do with is the approach, the approach of how we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And I've had to do some real thinking. You know, uh, this, uh, this fall marks 27 years that I've been serving as a minister. Man, that's a long time. You know, to preaching the gospel and, 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 and going different places. It all started in, in the southeast, then the northeast, then South America, then Central America, then, then here in SoCal, and then back to the southeast, and then back here for the last eight years uh, preaching and ministering in Spanish and English. And in, those last, in these last 26 years, I've had to take a hard look at the approach that we have taken as a church to how we present the gospel. And it always hasn't been good. And I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've seen because what I've come to realize is that, you know, as much as we want to make a difference in our culture, there's been an edge in our church. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe an unhealthy edge that instead of being for people, trying to help people, we're against them. In fact, we pit ourselves to be against everything as Christians. Well, I'm against it. You know, if there's an announcement on television, I'm against it. You know, and I remember becoming aware of this as a, as a missionary in Mexico City. And, uh, you know, I don't know if some of you that's got some history. We used to have these videos, these worldwide videos that were called KNN videos. And they were awesome. Because, you know, I was living in Mexico City and you would get to watch what's happening in Russia and Africa. And it was like a newsreel about people getting baptized and their faith and their testimony and all these things. And it was awesome. It was inspiring. But I remember one particular KNN video. And it struck me. This is where it all began to, to kind of really hit me and go, wait a minute. There's an edge. And it was a historical video based on our kind of our family of churches and where it all began and where it went back. And I noticed in the video, because I'm in Mexico City, and they start, the, the video starts to really bash on traditional mainline churches of Christ. And I was like, whoa, why the edge? And I'm going, this really doesn't apply to us here in Mexico because the traditional church of Christ is really not even relevant. It's not even in existence. We're here trying to help lost people. And here we are, we got this, this, this video that goes on a tirade about how we're so much better than the traditional church. But as I realized that video, I had to start asking myself, what about me? What about my preaching? What about our position as a church? What, what about the edge? And I remember the, the, the style of preaching that I would have and the style of presenting the gospel. It was intense. It would be, you know, sometimes yelling and snorting and spitting. And, you know, it was, it was just fire, you know, it was like intensity. And our goal sometimes in delivering, see, I got a baby in the back that's crying when you do that. Get people upset. That's what happens. But I remember when, you know, I deliver some of these messages and I would, I would go off on a tirade sometimes in these messages about the, the, the Catholic church in Mexico. And, and it was intense and sometimes it was so intense that people would stand up and leave the church, our guests. And you know what I would walk away feeling after doing that sermon? I would go, serves them right. I told them. You know, and that was it all about being right and making a point. 
and preach the truth and have conviction. We need to have conviction about the truth in our church. But you've got to ask yourself the question, is that really what we're after? And it really became an issue of we're right and they're wrong. And as many times as we had the opportunity to say we're right and they're wrong, we would say it. And then it didn't stop with traditional churches. Then it became evangelical churches. Well, they're not teaching the right thing. They're not teaching the the Bible correctly. And we're right and they're wrong. And there was this, this thing here, this edge. And I had to ask myself, why the edge? Is that really what Jesus did? And so I had to take off those glasses and put on other glasses and then really start to, really start to read the, 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 the scriptures, really start to read about Jesus and what, what he taught and what was his approach. And the interesting thing that I saw is that there's a difference. And then it got even, it got even more intense is that, you know, as I started to look at the gospel through fresh eyes, I realized that neither Jesus nor the apostle Paul positioned themselves against everything and everyone. That wasn't their position. And, and it got even more intense a couple of years ago as I sat down and talked with my children, and, and I'm glad they're not here today. They're at the ICMC in San Diego, so I can talk about them <laughs> unless they watch it online. But I had some conversations with them, and I asked them, and I said, how do you guys feel about our church? And, and I remember it was a rough, 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 rough talk where my dad, I mean, my, my, my son and, and I were talking, and he, he said it with tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, I, I hate, I hate our church. I go, what? You hate our church? And then, and then, and then he told me the reasons why. He gave me the list of the reasons why we're, we're judgmental, we're homophobic, we think we're better than everybody else, and, and we point the finger. And when people leave the church, we, we, we kind of we push them out instead of embrace them and love them back in. And you know what? I was speechless because some of the stuff that he was saying was true. And I'm the minister, and I'm like, whoa, boy, and I wanted to crawl under the chair. But you know what I told him? I said, listen, from this day forward, because I see what you're saying, we've got to take a different approach as a church because what you're saying is more true than not. And I couldn't give excuses. I couldn't be defensive. I had to go, you know what? I own it. But from now on, we're going to change. And so a couple years ago is when we really started to change. But we're not done yet. We've got so much further to go. And I want you to hear this loud and clear that neither Jesus nor the apostle Paul positioned themselves against everything and against everyone. They didn't do that. In fact, who did they focus on being against? We'll look at that later. But here's what's happening to Christianity and what's happened in Christianity in the last 10 years, that we're more focused on making a point but we're making less and less of a difference. See, when you go on on making a point, 
what happens is you make less and less of a difference. And many times it's a, it's a church's position that I want to make a point. Real easy to make a point. It's not easy to make a difference. And, and I got to be honest with you guys. In, our, in the generation from 18 to 30 years old, there are less and less of that generation that are interested in going to church. Do you know why those people don't want to go to church? Because they've either been to one or they've heard about one. And that's our responsibility. And so we're going to stir the pot here and we're going to look at from with fresh eyes. We're going to look at the Gospels and we're going to look at the letter that Paul wrote and the way he approached presenting the Gospel. Because it's up to us to turn the tide. Christianity is shrinking. In the postmodern world, Christianity is on the, on the decrease. And there's a reason for it. And so today when we talk about this, we're, we're going to look at Issues like it's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. See, because if you want to make a point, what do you, all you have to do is you have to walk around with a sign. And the, the sign says what your point is. And you hold that sign up and you say, here's my point. Okay, or, or all you have to do is preach a message like I'm doing today. Wear a microphone and, and preach a message. That's easy. It's easy to do with a group of people that agree with you, that are in the room with you and agree with you to make a point. But Jesus wasn't about making a point. He was about making a difference. And parents, you know this, right? You ever, you ever caught your kid and they got in trouble and you sat down and said, son, I want you to look at me in the eyes, okay? And blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. That's kind of what they hear. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I want you to go to your room and I want you to think about what I've said to you. And they go to their room and they close the door and, and you imagine them going into the room and you, and you go, and they're sitting there on their bed and they're going, wow, what incredible wisdom I have gained from my parents. <laughs> Just amazing wisdom. Is that what they do? Now they probably pick up the video game and they're playing the video game. Or they're just steaming. They're mad. They can't, I can't believe I hate my mom. I hate my dad. And you go, you got to ask yourself the question. Because you as a parent may have felt like you succeeded in telling them, I told him or I told her, I set her straight. And you may feel good because you made your point, right? But what's happening is your children aren't changing. They're not changing, and there's a reason for that. Here's why they don't change. Telling your children, telling you you're the wrong that they're doing is different than guiding them to do something different. See, if you want to make a change, you've got to guide people into being different. You can't just point your finger at them and tell them you're wrong, and everything you're doing is wrong. How do I know this? I mean, think about Jesus. I mean, come on. Think about Jesus when he came here on earth. He's the son of God. Don't you think he could have gone around and pointed the finger at every single walking, talking person? Wrong, 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 wrong. And you back there are especially wrong. 
I'm not even going to address you. You're so wrong. Did he do that? Did Jesus do that with very lost people? No, he didn't. He was focused on this. He says, I want, to, I want you to do something different. I want to lead you and I want to guide you in a different direction. And another thing is making you feel guilty for what you did wrong is different than instructing you in what to do right. And I'm not going to say we're not going to make people feel guilty. There are times where guilt is important. But we have to emphasize this part down here. I want, I want to instruct people on what it means to do what's right. Because a lot of people today, they don't know what it means to do right. They've never read this. Some of them didn't have a father. Some of them, their, their, their homes were a wreck. They had no time for church. How can you point the finger and say you're wrong when they've never been taught on how to do right? See, and Jesus realized that. He realized these people are sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to guide them. And so I just want to say it here today and make it really, really clear. We don't want to be a church, a point-making church anymore. We're done with that. We're not interested in making a point. We want to make a difference. And making a difference requires a completely different strategy and approach than it is making a point. And I got to tell you the truth. Most Christian churches in our country today are more focused on making a point than they are on making a difference. But there are some, and I want to encourage you, there are some that are oh so focused on making a difference, and they are. And they are, and we want to join them. We want to be side by side with them, and we want to go back and look at what Jesus did, what the Apostle Paul did, look at what our brothers and sisters did in the second and third, third, third century, because we're going to do a little history lesson today about our brothers and sisters in the second and third century and how they made a difference and toppled the most powerful empire in the world at that time. So what's the approach? What's the strategy? And that's what we're going to look at today. We have a blueprint on how to do that, how to make a difference instead of just making a point. And you're going to see it as your eyes get open. You're going to see it over and over again out there. Oh, he's just trying to make a point. I want to make a difference. But I want you to know making a difference is a lot harder it requires patience, persistence. It's messy work, and it takes time. They say, well, we don't have much time. Oh, yeah, we got time. See, because if we don't finish it, we pass it to you guys, our teens. And then we pa you guys are going to pass it to your children, and you're going to pass it to your children's children. That's what they did. And so we're going to look at the blueprint today on how to be a church that makes a difference and not be a church that is recognized and known for being full of hate. Okay, so here's one of the things that the first century church that the followers of Jesus did to make a difference. They constantly leaned relationally in the direction of those who they disagreed with the most. They constantly leaned relationally 
into the direction of those who they disagreed with the most. Now, this is not, this is not a recipe for parenting, okay? This is for people that are adults, okay? And I'll explain more about this. But this is something that, that Paul and Jesus did, and they got in a lot of trouble for it. Let's look at an example. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Now, Paul walks into Athens. Athens was not a religious city from the vantage point of a Jewish religious city. Okay, and Christianity is being introduced to the world at this point. They never heard about Jesus. They never heard about the gospel of Jesus. They never heard about, you know, the apostles. And so here comes Paul, and he's looking around at the city, and, and he sees the, all the, the idols and the temples built towards idols. Polytheist, a polytheism religion where they had all these idols, all these gods, and then he notices there's this one, one altar. And guess what it says? On the top of it, it says, hey, there's, this is an altar made to an unknown god. And so they built this altar, the, 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 the Athenians, because they wanted to cover all their bases. See, in case they left a god out, Oh, we got you covered right here. Okay, this is your altar in case we missed you. And Paul noticed that. And so look what he says here. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way that you're very religious. Now, if you're a, if you're a Hebrew and you're going through a city where there's a lot of idols, what do you think your sermon should be about? What do you should preach your sermon about? Idolatry, right? It just come to mind. I'm going to preach on idolatry. You know the interesting thing that Paul didn't do? He didn't preach against idolatry. You know what he preached about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting that he says this. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Okay, you got to understand, he, he kind of he packaged this. He, they weren't religious. They were pagan worshipers, idol worshipers. That was what was maybe he was feeling boiling up inside of him. But he didn't go for it. He says, hey, I'm going to establish a connection with them and say, hey, I see that you guys are religious. Guess what? So am I. And I saw, and look what he says here in verse 20, 20, 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So he found that, and guess what he uses as his illustration? See, what you guys worship as an unknown God, I'm going to make him known to you. And so he uses their idolatry as, as an illustration. I mean, it's, a, it's genius. Because he wasn't about making a point. He was about making a difference. And he knew that if I'm going to make a difference with these people, I have to establish common ground. You're religious. I'm religious. You don't know about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that God sent him and he was raised from the dead to save you. And so after his sermon, as he talks about Jesus... And he talks about even how God has sent times and places and men. It's one of the most incredible sermons you'll find in the book of Acts. But after this sermon that he delivers, a lot of people walked away and they said, ah, he's crazy. But guess what? 
there were a number of people that came up to Paul after his lesson and they said, guess what? We want you to come back and we want to hear more about what you're talking about. And many people were brought to the faith because of that lesson. So perfect example, Paul did not go after making a point. He went after making a difference. And he did over and over again. Here's another another thing that is common with the followers of Jesus. They were constantly at odds with the religious right. Now, wait a minute. These are the guys that you have everything in common with. In fact, if you were to sit down in a room with Jesus, Paul, and the religious right, which were called the Pharisees, if you were to sit down with them in a room and you go through a questionnaire and you had your your pad out and you go, okay, do you guys believe in one God? Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe that God created everything? Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe that he's the owner of everything? Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe that this is the inspired word of God? Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe in morality and righteousness? Yes, yes, yes. About 99% of what they believed was exactly the same. Now, why were they at odds with them? Here it is. There's your answer. The approach. The approach was significantly different. See, because the way the Pharisees were going about you know, trying to promote the, the, the teachings of God was so much about making a point that they made no difference. In fact, there was such a wall, a, a, a chasm in between people who were lost without God and them. And Jesus came to close that gap. But he realized if I'm going to make a difference, I have to use a different approach. And that's what got Jesus into trouble. Wasn't the difference in doctrine or theology. That's not what got Jesus into trouble. What got Jesus into trouble was his his approach. And we're going to see it. You ready? You ready for Jesus' approach? Here it is. They were not concerned about guilt by association. Jesus, Paul, and his followers were not concerned concerned about guilt by association. Now, as I said before, this is not a parenting strategy. In other words, son, Susie, daughter, hey, I don't care who you hang around with. No, 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 no. As parents, let me just say, you got to be concerned about who your kids hang around with. But us as adults, do we still need to worry about who we hang around with? To a degree, but we want to lean in to those bad influencers. You know why? So we can influence them. Now, it's not a parenting strategy, but it's an adult strategy. It's for a strategy for us as followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is what Paul did. He rolled up his sleeves and got dirty with the dirty people. Let's look at an example. Luke chapter 5, verse 29. Then Levi. Now, Levi's a tax collector. Tax collectors were the equivalent of of politicians or drug traffickers in our society today. They were very corrupt. They were very corrupt. They were greedy. They would exploit people. They would use people. They would would skim off the top. People hated them. And they were very wealthy. But they made wealth off of people's weakness. And so Jesus calls Levi, Matthew, the, the writer of the book of Matthew, he calls him and he says, 
hey, come follow me. And guess what? Matthew follows Jesus. He's one of the 12. After he follows him, look what happens in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus hanging around with? Now, I want you to imagine this party. Okay, what kind of party are we talking about? Was it a a holy party? Was there alcohol? Was there music? Was there women who were not dressed modestly? Probably. All of the above. Was there foul language? Probably. And here's, the, here's, the, here's what they said. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples, why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Guilt by association. Look at who you're hanging around with. Why does he hang around with these people? Why can't he be like us? And here's what guilt by association says. If you hang around with these people, are you saying, Jesus, that you condone the way they live? Are you saying that you're in agreement with not paying taxes or paying taxes to Caesar? Brought up all these issues. Are you saying that their lifestyle, you condone it, Jesus? Do you, are you saying, Jesus, by hanging around with them, that you condone what they do and what they say and how they live? You know what Jesus would say? Are you kidding Are you kidding me? I'm going to give my life for their sin. I'm going to hang on a cross for six hours and I'm going to die. I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to risk my relationship with God for their sin. Do you think I condone their sin? Of course not. But I want to make a difference. And the only way you can make a difference is to be with those people. And it may get messy, and it may get dirty, and it may be risky, but he did it. See, Jesus wasn't afraid of guilt by association, and neither was Paul. In fact, those of you who know your your Bibles more, we've done a, a class on this before. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, right? I I think I heard somebody online say it too friend of sinners. What does that tell you about Jesus' approach? Who is he interested in connecting with? But what happens is, is that we, we get in our safe environments in our churches where we huddle up together and we sing the same songs and we're all on the same page and we agree and, oh, the world out there is dark and we got to stay away from them. Who's that sound like? Sounds like the Pharisees. And we got to be very careful we don't go the way, and you know, the, truth, the real truth of our country today is that Christians are known for huddling and, and forming groups and, and kind of being against everything and, and pointing the finger at the world and holding signs instead of doing what Jesus did, going into their homes and showing them, hey, God loves you too, and I believe you can change. And I believe your life can be different because I know deep down, and he would look him in the eye and he said, I know deep down you're extremely unhappy. 
I know that you're miserable. You may act like you're all together and you got the clothes and the cars and the fun and the, and, the, and the drugs and the parties and the girls. You may look like you've got it all together, but I know I can see your heart. See, but the only time you can do that is when you're eye to eye, face to face with people like that. Jesus, by hanging around with them, are you saying it's okay? Absolutely not. I'm trying to reach sinners. Let me ask you a question. Are you trying to reach sinners? Was it really that long ago when you were one? Or wait a minute. Has it really been that long since you sinned? Have you lost sight of who you are? Can you really point the finger and be that judgmental with somebody who lives that kind of lifestyle when you did? Or in your heart of hearts, you struggle with it? See, Jesus knows, guys. He knows. These people need help. We needed help. And we need to help them. We need to be about helping them. And we safely sit in our congregations with people who believe the same thing. We sing the same songs. Careful with that. Because we want to be a church where people can come here and feel welcome. And feel what? Love. Not hate. I wonder what it would be like if somebody walked through those doors with a lifestyle. I mean, I mean, Sam, they, they look the part. And you go, ooh, this guy looks rough. Or this girl looks rough. How would they feel? Come to the evening service, you'll see. We get some characters. But you know what they need to feel when they walk in the door? Hey, man, we're so glad you're here. And you will hear me say that in our services. You will hear me say in a lesson, hey, you may not be a believer and you may not accept this, okay? You may not go for this. It's okay. We're going to give you time. You guys have heard me say that. Why do I say that? Because not everybody knows. Not everybody believes, and you've got to keep the door open to give them a chance so they can fall. And then here's another credible example, and we've got to move. Galatians chapter 2. Do you know what Peter, Peter, the apostle, he was the main guy in Galatians chapter 2. Peter started to, he, started, he, was, he was out there helping the Gentiles, out there in the Gentile world, and he was helping them, the non-Jews. He was baptizing them and helping them. But then some Jews showed up from Jerusalem, and guess what Peter started doing? Started pulling back from the Gentiles. Okay, he started, uh, because these guys, what are they going to think about me? Guilt by association. So he pulled back, and Paul rebukes him. Paul rebukes Peter, the super apostle. He laid him out and said, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You're not even that good of a Jew. And I know. And he lays him out. Why? Because he was falling into that trap that all of us can fall into of being separatists. We don't want to be separatists. We want to be followers of Jesus. Great example. Okay, another characteristic of our first century brothers and sisters. They refused to be dragged into debates that distract them, that distracted them from primary issues. They refused to be dragged into debates that distracted them from primary issues. Now, this will happen to you, I promise. The moment you say you are a Christian, 
They're coming after you. And this is going to happen more and more in our society. They're going to bait you. And they're going to ask questions, just like they did with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Pharisees would come. Jesus, we got a question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Watch Jesus. Jesus says, give me a coin. Anybody got a coin? Throw me a coin. Will you give me a coin? Somebody gave him a coin. He says, see this coin? Whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. All right, so give to Caesar's what's Caesar and give to God what's God. Any more questions? And the guy says, the guy, the Pharisees came over and they said, that was a stupid question. How could you ask that question? What were you thinking of that question? See, Jesus didn't want to get dragged into debates. I want to encourage you, don't get dragged into debates. It's not worth it. And here's another thing that happened. Jesus entered into the temple courts in Matthew chapter 21. This is really cool what Jesus did. He entered into the temple courts, and, and while they were teaching, the chief priests and the elders and the people came to him. By what authority? Here's the question. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? So here's the question. They want to put him on the spot. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Tell us the authority. Now, did he know by what authority? He could have said it, right? He could have told them right there, but did he tell them? Look what he does. He goes on and he says, I've got a question for you. He didn't answer the question. He says, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. John the Baptist's baptism, was it of God or was it of men? And so they huddle up and they come over and they have a meeting, right? And the Pharisees are all together and they're having their meeting and they're talking. They say, okay, if we say, if we say John the Baptist is from, from God, then Jesus is going to challenge us and he's going to say, well, you guys should have gotten baptized by him. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you follow his teaching? But if we say, if, if we say that John the Baptist was of, of men, the people are going to stone us because they believe that John the Baptist was of God. So I guess they come back from their meeting and they say, we don't know. We can't answer your question, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. Now, here's a principle that the disciples did. Sometimes there are questions you should never answer. Really? Did Jesus know the answer to the question, by what authority did he come? He could have said it. He could have laid them all out. I'm come from God. But he didn't say it. You know why? Because he didn't want to take the bait. People are going to ask you questions as a follower of Jesus. And there are times when you don't need to answer it. So I don't know. I believe it's the politics. The, the people in, in White House and Washington, they need to decide. I abstain. I take the fifth. But you want to say it. You want to tell the truth and you want to make a point. I believe in the Bible, and the Bible is the word of God, and this is morally wrong. You want to preach that sermon, don't you? You want to make a point. You want to make a point, but we're not about making points, are we? We're about making a difference. And because Jesus took this strategy and this approach, he was led into people's homes 
And when the moment was right, guess what he did? He talked to them about the truth, about their life, and about the need for change and repentance and turning to God. See, it's all about approach. You don't always have to lay people out. You don't have to make people storm out of here mad with your lesson or your sermon or your Bible discussion. That's not the point. We want to leverage relationships just like Jesus did. Here's another thing. They didn't judge non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. They didn't judge non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. Now, here's a great example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says it. He says, what business of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? You know, here's a principle that you can learn in history. The church loses influence in a society when they try to police people outside the church more than they police their own inside the church. What Paul is saying here is we need to police ourselves. Don't you worry about people on the outside. And he goes on to say God will take care of them. If you want to be an influence and you want to make a difference, let's take care of you and me. Let's deal with you and me. But wait a minute. Don't you care? Don't you care about how their behavior is out there? Yes, I do. But I want to leverage influence and relationships so I can get in there and help them. It's different. And so we need to stop judging people out there in the world. Stop shaking your finger at them. Stop going, oh, that's so bad that they do that. That's so dirty. Yeah, you were dirty too, right? But somebody sat down with you and educated you. Give them the opportunity to do the same. What brought you to the church? Love, not hate. So let's stop judging non-believers for non-believing behavior. You know what you need to do to those people? Love them. Love them. Let them know God loves you but I'll be condoning their behavior. No, you're not. You know just as well as I do that Jesus died for their behavior. So we need to stop being ice makers and judging people on the outside is ice making. We need to be ice breakers. And the way you're an ice breaker is leveraging influence and relationships. Okay, you with me so far? All right, so here's, here's the practical. Here's how you do it. Here's how you are a difference maker, not a point maker. Okay? Jesus said it this way. You know this passage. In fact, we are the name of our church is named after this passage. But are we living this passage? Jesus said it. You are the light of the world. A town on a, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see what? Your preaching, your billboard, your sign. What are they going to see? Your deeds, your actions, what you do that they see that. And guess what they see when they see good deeds? Guess what they see? Guess what they see? Jesus. You know why the next generation is not interested in church? 
because they don't see this and they don't see Jesus. Will you, will we, can we show him, them Jesus? I'm inviting you to do that. Let's show people Jesus. And it's not talking points, it's doing points. And you say, well, Jesus, what are you saying? I'm saying that God knows that this world is dark and God has sent a flashlight. You are the flashlight. You are the flashlight. I am the flashlight. We are the flashlights. Let's let it shine. Let's get out there and do deeds. And then, you know, the questions arise. Well, Jesus, which one is it? Is it the law or sinners? He says, listen, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to uphold them. I've come to uphold them. I've come to fulfill them. It's not either or. It's both and. Okay? By saying all of this, we're not saying we're not going to hold to the teachings of Jesus. We're not going to believe what's right. No, we are. We're just going to use a smarter approach just like Jesus and the apostles did. Okay? Are you with me? All right, let's wrap this thing up. We looked at this last week and the week before, and the week before. Be wise in the way you act towards who? Outsiders. Wise means think. Think. Be smart. When you're in a conversation with an outsider, and no offense, if you're here as a guest, hey, you feel like an outsider, but, you know, we, we love you. But that's what it's saying. Be smart. Be smart. Think about the things that you say. Think about how can I draw in a relationship? How can I, how can I help this person connect with God? You know, as we talked about last week, share your testimony. Be smart. Now, we're going to do a really brief history lesson. Marcus Aurelius, do you know how the first, second, third century Christians overturned the Roman Empire and conquered with their faith the Roman Empire? How many are familiar with this name, Marcus Aurelius? He is a emperor. You heard about his name in the movie, what, Gladiator, right? Right? Guess what? He didn't die by strangling of his son. It didn't happen. That's completely fictional. You know how Marcus Aurelius died? The plague. In fact, in 2nd and 3rd century, in the Mediterranean area, which included all of Rome, there were three major plagues wiped out cities, wiped out people. Marcus Aurelius wrote in his history, he wrote about days in Rome where they would pile up 5,000 bodies in one day because of the plague. And people were fleeing the cities, people from, from Rome because of their pagan religion. Pagan gods don't care about people. So you leave. The pagan priests would leave the city People would take their babies and they would leave their babies on the street because they got the sickness. And they said, well, who cares? It's just a child. I got to protect my life. So they would leave family members, babies, children. They'd leave them on the street and they'd head out of town. Guess what the Christians did? They stayed in Rome. And guess what they did? They picked up those babies and putting their own lives in danger They took care of the sick. People with the plague, 
And the plague was awful, the deformities, and it was nasty, it was, it was ugly. But one of the reasons why Christians were willing to do that is because they had great compassion and they weren't afraid to die. See, because their faith was, I'm just going to a better place. And I realize that getting there is going to mean living like Jesus taught me to live, so I'm going to have compassion. And they were incredibly benevolent. Later on in history, there was an emperor called Emperor Julian, and he was actually known as Emperor Julian the Apostate. He was an emperor that came after Constantine, and basically Christianity had influenced the Roman Empire. Then this guy came along and tried to throw it back into a pagan nation, but it was too late. And he was frustrated because Christians had already established themselves as an influence in the whole, the whole city and the whole empire of Rome. And look what he wrote. Look at the, the, let's, we, we look, look at scriptures, but I want you to read quotes from Julian, Emperor Julian. You ready? Look at what he says here. Recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. This is him talking. Their moral character, even if pretended, and their benevolent their benevolence towards strangers. He was frustrated with Christians. He's complaining about them. I can't stand these guys. They're too good. They're whitey-white, lily-white. They're, they're, they're too good. You can't find anything wrong with them. And guess what else? They have a benevolence towards strangers. Well, we can't, Julian's saying, we can't compete with this. We can't deal with this. And then he goes on to say, recent Christian growth or the next one is, the imperious, impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans is who? Christians. Look what he says about them. Observe this and they're devoted themselves to benevolence. They're the ones that were taking care of the sick in the city. Remind you of what Jesus said? They will be known for their good deeds. That's what Christians did. The impious Galileans support not only the, their poor, but ours as well. They don't even take care, they don't only, not only take care of their own Christian poor, they take care of the poor that aren't even of their own faith and belief system. Everyone can see, everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And this comes from the rise of Christianity, a study of second and third Christianity. And they, many, many historians believe this is the reason why they toppled the Roman Empire. It wasn't because of a platform. It wasn't because of money. It wasn't because they had big buildings. It wasn't because they carried around signs and they were making points. What was the reason the Christians toppled the Roman Empire? Good deeds. They made a difference. And so as our country is shifting, what's going to shift it back? If we do the things that Jesus called us to do. It's my personal persuasion. I don't even think God wanted us to have this religious right coalition. That's not the place of the church. The place of the church is to be humble and do the right thing and love people. And that's what changes things. So look at, look at that. So here's, here's kind of sum it up. Let's close this out. We're not going to, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, to fear guilt by association anymore. 
I want you to be somebody that rolls up his sleeves and gets dirty and associates with people that you would call not godly people. And now, teens, you guys are going to have to be careful with this. Have some great conversations with your parents because it is more risky. I know from personal experience as a teenager, you got to watch who you hang around with. But for us, those of us who are adults, hey, you, you need to roll up your sleeves and get dirty with people. And we're not going to be, we're not going to police the behavior of people who don't believe what we believe. We're not going to do that anymore. Are you with me on this? Stop pointing your finger at people outside of our church. Love them. Show them what Jesus would have showed them. Okay? I love you. I don't accept your behavior, but I accept you as a person. And I care about you as a person. And you know what that means to somebody? They already know they're not right with God. But they can be. And you may very well need to be the bridge. When the cultural and political issues interface with biblical teaching, we are going to talk about it on Sunday. Perfect examples. Love, sex, and dating. You remember that series? Well, we stirred the pot. Because there's things out there in our culture that are talking about things we need to address them in the church. Recovery Road, we talked about that. We talked about politics. When it interfaces with the scriptures, yes, we will talk about it. Okay? Now, here, this is the fine print on the bottom. We are not always going to get this right. We're not always going to get this right. You understand that? We're going to make some mistakes. But I would rather make mistakes trying than to huddle up and be our little closed community where we don't allow people in and we don't associate with people like that. Hey, I would rather take some risks. Let's get dirty. And let's try to get it right by trying something different and doing something outside of the norm. And finally, people who leave our church, members who leave our church, There has been a time where we have not loved them back because it hurts. It hurts when people leave the church, right? And we distance ourselves. Mmm, they left. Man, you need to love them back into a relationship with God. And regardless of what they decide, we need to love them and accept them. And, And, you know, just like in the second and third century, they had plagues. We've got a plague today. Do you know what the plagues are today? Anybody know? Cancer? Heard of that, right? Diabetes? Where's where's Dwayne Daniels? Where are you at, Dwayne? Are you in the dark? There he is. He came in out of the dark. He's in the light. Dwayne Dwayne Daniels leads up a a, a ministry, which he initiated. It's called the Sick and Shut-In Ministry. Do you know where the Sick and Shut-In Ministry started? Second and third generation, or third century and that's how they toppled the Roman Empire. Do you know we have brothers and sisters who are sick and shut in their homes? They can't come to church. You know, just one way we can make a difference is by going and visiting our brothers and sisters and then going and visiting people who are not members of our church. Imagine that. I mean, yes, we've got great health care. They're in hospitals. They're getting all their physical needs, but their emotional needs are completely absent. Some of their own family members won't go visit them. But what about if we as Christians went and visited them in their hospitals, in their, in their, in their home care? What if we did that? And so I want you to, if you would like to do that, I want you to talk to Dwayne today. 
I want you to go to the website and sign on. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to volunteer and go visit. We've got two brothers and sisters who were recently baptized, Mona and Frank, Lloyd. They're baptized. They both have terminal cancer. It's very serious. And they can't always make it to church. They're really sick. Wouldn't it be awesome if we went and visited them and others like them? You know, Amira, she, she's here. When she gets sick, go visit her. Go visit others. Wouldn't you like to have somebody come and visit you when you're sick? I would. So let's do this. Let's follow the example of our brothers and sisters in the first and second century. Amen? Are you, are you with me? And then I'm going to give you a to-do list. Just like Jesus, and this is where we're going to stop. No more slides. Just like Jesus, Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through 30. I want to encourage you to eat with them, visit them, and love them. Who's them? People who are not right with God or people who are sick, people who are hurting. We got some baby Christians in the house, right? Where are the guys that, where are the brothers and sisters who have been baptized in the last six, six months? Can you raise your hand? It's the last six to seven months. Raise, raise your hand high. Okay, there, there are a few here. Okay, have you had these people over for dinner yet? Invite them to dinner, to your house, because they need a connection. They need someone to take them under their wing and say, hey, I want to help you grow in Christ. And I want you to know that I love you and I'm so proud of you for the decision that you've made. Let me feed you just like Jesus. Let me give you. So you've got your plate full this summer, right? Let's eat with them, visit them, and love them. And in this way, if we do this, we will be a church that makes a difference. Now, this is going to challenge some of you because you've been living comfortable, selfish, self-focused lives just like your neighbors. But you've got to ask yourself, who's your allegiance to? Is it to our society or is it to Jesus? And for our guests, I want to invite you to lean in so you can know about Jesus because I know there's a part of you that wants to live a life that makes a difference. Let's pray for the communion and then we'll be done.